thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. We've been doing a very short series as we go through December called We Want a King or We Need a King. And last week we talked about the Israelites. We went all the way back to them saying, we need a king. And we talked about the fact that actually, no, they didn't. They already had God. They had a sovereign who is far better. And this week, I want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. What, what is the best gift you've ever received at Christmas? You know, have a think. What is the best gift you've ever received? I can remember as a child, uh, me and my brother got an Atari games console. We didn't expect it. In fact, we thought it was highly unlikely we would get it. And then on Christmas Day when it came, it was like, wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. Obviously, Mary, your parents, the best gift they ever had was you. Um, you know, Mariah Carey wrote a song about them. Obviously, all I want for Christmas is you. But, um, but the, one of the best things ever, well, you know, I've had some bad presents. Joel, when he was about 18, Rosalie's family had a very eccentric member. And uh, she's sadly no longer with us. Um, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That sounds awful. But I'm laughing because Rosalie's laughing. She knows what's coming. But Joel, when he was about 18 for Christmas, uh, and Chloe got the, well, we all got strange presents, very strange presents. And so Joel one year got cat food, and he hasn't got a cat. Um, he got cat food, and he got a music book for five-year-olds when he was 18. <laughs> Okay, and uh, you know, and in the same Christmas, this lady had forgotten about Corey and went, oh, here's 20 quid, and my kids are like, what? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? That's terrible. But one year, she bought me and Ros a present to share. Now, there's a story. Today, I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not saying this is ugly, but it, it's not great. Um, because me and Ros were given a shared present, and it was a coat. We were given a, I didn't know whether she expected us to wear it on alternate days. Uh, it makes me look a little bit like Dow Boy. But I just need to explain a story behind this coat, okay? Because the lady in question, it's really, really small. This was Ruth Randall's coat, for those of you who know Ruth, okay? And uh, Ruth and Peter set up a little stall to raise money for the young people going to Durban. And uh, this was on the stall because Ruth had decided she didn't want it anymore. So Damaris, oh, sorry, I've not named her now. <laughs> Damaris, I'll say it. She, everybody knows who she is. Um, she bought this coat and said, oh, I've got a friend in Israel who'd love that coat. It'll do them really good. So she bought this coat to send to a friend in Israel. And then that Christmas, we were given it as a joint present. I think she just went through things and uh, gave it. So we weren't sure whether we were supposed to share it, one arm in each sleeve, you know. But that was a pretty rough present, really, you know. Um, if anyone wants it, I'll sell you it. It's very warm if you're very small. But Ruth Randall was a very small lady compared to me. I'm not a small lady. I'm not even a lady, but let's not go there. <laughs> but <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. You might be thinking we're going to Western theme today, but I want to very quickly look at three kings. Not, there's not a book. I'm not adding books to the Bible, okay? There's one and two kings. I want to look at three kings. Two of them were kings of Judah or Israel. And the other one comes much later in the story. As Israel demanded a king, they got what they asked for. Okay? So, we saw last week, 
that we should be careful what we ask for. The first king they got was Saul, who did okay till the end of his reign. Then they got David, the king who was the man after God's own heart. But even he made some pretty calamitous errors. And after that was Solomon, the wisest of all. But if you're in one of our Connect group and had the questions this week, the Connect group question showed you that Solomon, the wisest king of all, broke every single rule in Deuteronomy that God put in place for a king. He broke every single rule, even though he was wise. God gave those rules and they didn't follow them. Then we see Israel and Judah as separate kingdoms. And how many kings did they have as total? Anyone know? Jeff, do you know from your old to new stuff? No. Anyone? 39. They had 39 kings. Anyone want to guess how many of those kings are described as good? No more, than, higher than five. Higher than eight. Oh, higher than seven. Sorry, eight is the answer. I'm, I'm, I've got a hot, hot black current over there. I'm feeling a bit under the weather. So eight. Eight out of 39. That as a percentage is 20%. So they wanted a king to do all these things, and the kings were only 20% of them were good. They demanded something, and 80% of what they asked for was really bad. In fact, it's described as evil. So we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because I think 20% is a fail in any exam or test, I think. I don't think you can pass any exam with a 20%, although maybe GCSEs are getting easier these days. That's right, isn't it, Ross? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> but all the good kings were in Judah. None of the good kings were in Israel. None of them. We're in Israel. And today we're going to look at those three things. A very quick whistle stop in the Old Testament and a king we see at the beginning of the New. So the good king is, I'm going to look at, is Hezekiah. So if you've got your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 7, tells us a little bit about Hezekiah. In the third year, it should come up on the screen yet, yeah, bro. Good job, Ibukin. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. It's not the same one from last week. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. No one like him, either before or after. This guy was good. He held fast to the Lord. He did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. That's Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king, none before, none after, that was good. Let me just list some of the things it says in that passage about Hezekiah that tells me he was good. He did what was right. Do we all do what was right? No, not even David did everything that was right. We don't do what's right. He removed and smashed and broke. Those words are pretty negative words. He removed, smashed and broke. But when you connect it to what he removed, smashed and broke, he removed, smashed and broke things that had taken God's place. 
He got rid of the high places, the Asherah pole, the people that even started worshipping the bronze snake that Moses had made to cure. God had said, make this snake, raise it up, and people, when they look at it, will be cured from this sickness. And actually, they started worshipping this thing they'd made. That's what we're like, isn't it? That's what our world is like. They start worshipping things that they've created. They start to look at things. They were burning incense to it. He smashed, removed, and broke all those things that had taken God's place. He destroyed them. He didn't just put them in a cupboard, out of the way, out of sight, out of mind. He didn't just put them to one side, but totally obliterated them. And he didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care what the king of Assyria would do about it. He didn't care other than about what God thought. That's Hezekiah. He's one of the good guys. What makes him good? Well, he knew that the people needed to get back to worshipping the God who created, who rescued, who saved, the God who was sovereign. He knew that God. And we need to get back to that God. We need to return to those ways of God. He trusted. That's one of his big key features. He trusted God. If you read the rest of his story, he even saw miraculous victory over the kings of Assyria without having to send or lose a single soldier because he trusted God. He did what God said and God defeated his enemies. That's a guy who trusts. That's a guy who is good. It says he held fast to the Lord. That means really, really held tight. You know, hold fast to something, then you're not letting go. You're not letting go. He held fast to God. He had an excellent relationship with Isaiah, God's prophet, which is how it was meant to be. Do you remember we looked at that earlier this year? The king and the prophet were meant to work alongside each other to reflect and to represent God. That's what Hezekiah did. He brought those things. And as a result of not stopping following and doing the right thing and keeping the commands, he was successful. And there was no one like him. That's amazing to me, isn't it? You might think, well, that's too much to weigh up to. But actually, all he did was he made sure God was number one. He made sure God was sovereign. He made sure God was Lord of his life. You know, today there's a World Cup final. We're not really that interested anymore, are we? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We don't really care, you know. If France win, we could just say that was our final and we should have been second. But hey. Messi is probably going to become a hero for his country today if they win. He will be honoured and have glory bestowed upon him because they'll say there is no one like him. And lots of people will try and copy him and follow in his footsteps and get out playing football. A bit like if a British player does okay in Wimbledon. Everybody gets their rackets out, don't they? And for about two weeks, you can't get a court anywhere because everyone fancies themselves as Andy Murray or Tim Henman or Greg Rosensky. Do you remember him? He was Canadian. Anyway, but Hezekiah was good. Look at the qualities he has. God today is not asking any different of us. He says, hold fast to me. He says, do what's right. Be obedient to me. Put me first in everything you do. Don't put even the slightest thing that you think is important ahead of me. And actually, I will be with you and be successful with you. That's what God's promise is. Hezekiah was good. He followed, he trusted, he obeyed, he did the right thing. And do you know what? He cut out and obliterated all the stuff that infected the Israelites and the Judeans. He cut out all the stuff that was going to infect them as a nation. He cut out all the things that were dragging them down and stopping them from being the best we can be. That's what God's asking us today. 
to put him first and to obliterate the stuff that gets infected in our lives. But are we willing? As we come towards Christmas, are we willing? Then we come to the bad. There's loads of them. Take your pick. 31 out of 39 are terrible. 39 kings and only eight were good. So I'm going to look at Manasseh. I told you it's going to be a whistle-stop tour very, very quick. Okay? So we've got good Hezekiah. A couple of chapters later, we see Manasseh, and he is Hezekiah's son. Surely he's got a good role model. You know, we want good role models. He's seen the best. He's seen success. He's seen God with him. He's seen a man who is good. Then we get Hezekiah. 2 Kings chapter 21, sorry, Manasseh, verses 1 to 9. It says this, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Here's a lesson. Don't give anything responsible to a 12-year-old. Maybe that's what caused it. Or a 16-year-old even, maybe. Eh? But hey, <laughs> aren't you glad you're in this morning? Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. Hephzibah. Okay? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. When you read it straight after that, this is tragic, isn't it? Tragic. He rebuilt the high places his dad had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Now, Ahab is one of the worst Married to Jezebel. He redid all the good, he undid all the good his dad had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem, I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. This guy is mad. He practiced divination, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole and made it and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors, if only they will be careful to do everything I can commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them but the people did not listen and Manasseh the king the leader led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites when you read that that's shocking isn't it shocking he went against everything his own dad had done he went against everything God said he should do he totally ignored God and the people were led astray by him. He put all these things in the temple. They took God's place. You might read this and go, well, I'm not like that. I'm not as bad as that. You know, I'm not that evil. I've not, uh, I've not built an altar in this church to something that else. But actually, we end up doing, some people would say, we shouldn't have a Christmas tree. Oh, it looks pretty. Well done to those who did it. It becomes a problem if we start to worship it. Just like the worship, we love to sing here. We love to lift God's name. And some people would say, oh, it's, it, they don't like it that much. But actually, it's a way we can be intimate with God in worship. It's a way of singing prayers. It's a way that we can connect and lift his name above everything else. But if we start to worship the worship, 
That's a problem. We worship the God that the songs are about, not the songs itself. That's why we try not to sing a lot of songs that say me, 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 me. Although Amazing Grace has a lot of that and it's a great song. <laughs> okay? But he did some terrible things. Interesting, isn't it? That if we don't worship God, we'll end up worshiping something. God wasn't in his idea of life. And as a result, look how much horrendous stuff he did. Because he was seeking something. He was searching for some sort of answer. He was searching for a higher power. But he'd seen that higher power. He'd seen God. He'd seen God Almighty. He'd seen the creator of everything bring success. He did evil. He reversed everything his dad had done. He put things in God's place. Do we put things in God's place today? Yeah, I think we do. Maybe we don't do it overtly like Manasseh did. Maybe we don't put things really sort of on a mountaintop and say, here, I'm worshipping this. But often we'll go, do you know what? I'd rather do that than that. I'd rather go there than be in God's presence. I'd rather spend time with this person than say, God, I need you first and foremost. Don't put things in the way of God. Manasseh had a great role model to follow, but he simply needed to keep going in that direction. And yet he put so much in the place of his God. The stars, the sex symbols, that's Asher and Baal, the financial stuff, the wealth. And there were only 20% like Hezekiah. The rest were like this guy. They were the ones that Israel had said, we need a king, we want a king, we want something to rule. And look at what they got. Careful what we ask for. Look at what they got. They weren't following, not dealing with sin and the wrong stuff, but building more and more layers of it on top of each other in their lives until it probably looked very normal. He sacrificed his own son. He gave his son to, to probably Molech because that's the way the other nations were doing. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. Well, look what happened. They became like everybody else, doing things that were just really not good. The final king I want to look at, and some of you are thinking, final, ooh, that's really quick. Don't worry, we've not got long today, okay? There's hope. The final king is the ugly. Now, I don't mean necessarily physically, but he was. Because we're going to fast forward now to a bit of the Christmas story. And there's a very famous king called Herod. One of my favorite ever nativity moments was when we recreated some of the songs out of the film Nativity. And the kids had it drummed into them. We were going to set off a snow machine in the last song. And we were going to put the snow machine behind the piano at the old building. And in the final song, we were going to set this snow machine off. And we said to the children, look, when this snow machine goes off, don't react. You've got to just stand, sing the song you're supposed to sing, and everybody in the congregation will be like, oh, isn't it great? But you've just got to stand still, don't react, and sing. And my best memory as I sat and played the piano, trying not to laugh and stop playing, was Malachi. No, not Malachi. It was, it was um, Reuben, sorry. I was getting the wrong, uh, wrong uh, grandchild there. Reuben. Because Reuben was King Herod, and he had on his head a crown. And as this snow machine belted out this foam snow, the snow started building up in his crown, and he stood there. He'd been told to stand still. And he stood there as still as could be as the snow piled higher and higher on his head. Probably bigger than Marge Simpson's hair, I would say. 
And in that moment, he'd not a smart, he was told because he was Herod. He was, and so actually everybody in the audience congregation was laughing at him and he stood there, Herod, with this snow piling higher and higher and higher on his head. If anyone has got a video of it anywhere, please send it me because it was my favorite moment. But Herod is the famous king of the Christmas story and we water down the Christmas story a little bit, don't we? We make it all nice and sort of clean, whereas it was horrible. You know, Jesus, I mean, I think uh, King, Ch- King Charles has chosen a, p- a poem to be read tonight at a Christmas service, which is all called The Refugee, because Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were, were refugees. There was no room. Nobody wanted them. They were shut out. They had to stay in a, the cold and, and probably a very smelly place. But in that story is King Herod, and boy, is his story an ugly one. If you don't know the story of King Herod, I'm going to stop short of the thing they call the Night of the Innocents or the Massacre of the Innocents. But he's not really a king of Israel or Judah. But at the age of 25, here's a few facts for you that you might not know about Herod. At the age of 25, the Romans put him in place to appease the Jews. He wasn't a Jew, but he'd married, a prominent, married into a prominent Jewish family. And so because he'd married into this prominent Jewish family and been made king, guess what his title was given by the Romans? The king of the Jews. Where have you heard that before? The king of the Jews. He married into that leading family and he wasn't liked because he wasn't born a Jew and he didn't follow the religion. But the main thing we know about Herod, he was a killer. He was a killer. He was an evil, mean king. He would do anything to hold on to power. He would do anything to keep his throne. He killed his brother-in-law, he killed his mother-in-law, and he killed his wife, all to hold on to power. From the day he killed his wife, that's when his mental state deteriorated, and he became a little bit crazed. But he was a killer. He also strangled his sons ordered them to be killed by strangulation. This isn't some nice, fluffy man. This is horrendous. And this man was what they ended up getting when they said, we need a king. We want to be like everybody else. A power-crazed, power-hungry man. One of the Caesars said at the time, it was safer to be Herod's sow than Herod's son. In other words, it was safer to be one of his pigs than one of his children. He was that evil a man. This is really ugly. And after killing his wife, as I say, he became quite deranged. By the beginning of the Christmas story in Matthew's Gospel, Josephus, the Jewish historian, describes his disease that he had as a kind of distemper. His body racked with convulsions. His breath was foul. His skin was covered with loathsome sores. And he was rapidly losing his mind. This is the Herod of the Christmas story. This is the Herod that we see the wise men, the magi, enter in. And he is the king. And one day word comes to him in Jerusalem that some visitors have arrived from the east. So we're going to pick up the story and read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Oh, now that makes it a little bit more tense, doesn't it? What's Herod's name? What's his title? 
king of the Jews. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Ooh, that's going to rankle a little bit. That's going to torment a little bit. This man is already a little bit mad. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These guys weren't following God. They were following astrological signs. They were pagans, yet they came to worship the king. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Do you know why all Jerusalem were disturbed? Because when he was disturbed, what did he do? Killed people. Yeah? All Jerusalem was disturbed because they thought, oh no, here we go. He's going to have a right paddy now. You think your two-year-old in Tesco is bad. Oh, nothing on this guy. When he'd caught together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he called together the chief priests and teachers of the law, the main Jewish people, the leaders, the religious leaders. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. So this wasn't a baby, this was a child. So this isn't in a stable, it's in a house, just to correct some other areas of the Christmas story. They don't all come at once, even though we'll do it tonight, that they do. They came to the house, saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Everything a baby wants. I've added that bit. So I want to leave you today with three points from King Herod and the story of the Magi. Three points that maybe you've never thought of before. You might have done. Things you've never questioned. Because I believe this passage shows us three types of people who still exist today. It shows us three people who exist today. Number one, there are people who oppose the arrival of Jesus. Herod didn't go. Let's just get that into our heads. This is a guy who's threatened. He's killed his mother-in-law. He's killed his brother-in-law. It's all right, Carol, you're safe. Okay. He killed his mother-in-law, killed his brother-in-law, strangled his kids, and he doesn't go. The biggest threat that's coming to his kingdom, and he doesn't go and deal with it. He doesn't go, yet he opposes Jesus, why didn't he go? Well, maybe he couldn't face up to this new king on the block. Maybe he knew that if he went to see Jesus, maybe he felt so threatened that he would rather stew on it. But maybe he thought, if I come face to face, I've got a decision to make. I'm going to have to do something. So he decided, I'm just going to oppose it. I'm going to oppose it. I'm going to get other people to do my dirty work. And I want nothing to do with this king of the Jews. I, going to see the child personally would mean making a tough decision. He knew that a Messiah was promised and that it was going to be born in Bethlehem and that the Messiah was going to come from Judah or the place where the good kings came from. That he was going to come from Judah. But he couldn't face the truth. You know, the word disturbed here literally means to shake violently. 
When he heard that there was a new king on the block, he didn't just go, oh, I'm not very happy about that. He shook violently. We used to, I used to sing in the choir at school. And our choir teacher, if the things were going wrong in the piece, we knew nobody else did because he would stand there going. <laughs> and his face would get redder and his head would get sweatier and his cheeks would wobble violently. Because things were going wrong, he would shake. Herod, things were going wrong, he was disturbed. He already had convulsions because of his illness and he was shaking because he just didn't know what to do with his anger. Do you know, Jesus makes some people angry. Yeah? Have you found that? Am I talking to myself? Does Jesus make you angry? No, hopefully not. But people can cope with a creator. People can cope with a God that is all-powerful. But when faced with the humanly divine Son of God, it's a bit too real. It's a bit too close to home. You know, I read a letter yesterday, if I can find it quickly, J. John, some of you have heard of J. John. Um, J. John wrote a letter that was published in the Times this week. And he wrote this. Sir, you report that Brighton University has suggested that its staff refer to Christmas as the winter closure period. As to avoid offending students and others who are not Christian. In fact, there was an article written, Merry Winter Closure University wishes all. Our calendars, our calendars are full of memorials to unpleasant pagan gods and dubious emperors that I find offensive. Could we please see moves to eradicate such names as Wednesday, derived from the day of Woden, the English equivalent to the Norse god Odin, and July, named in honour of the Roman emperor Julius Caesar as soon as possible? Yours sincerely, J. John. He's got a point, hasn't he? Let's get rid of Christmas. Winter festival. You know, you can't even call them Christmas lights. It's all about winter lights or winter warmth. People want to ban the word Christmas and call it a winter festival. They want to ban Christmas cards in the workplace in case it offends anyone. Do you know the people who are most likely to be offended aren't offended at all? If you ask them, it's somebody somewhere who's going, better be careful. Better be careful. Do you know, that is the spirit of Herod living on. People who oppose it and say, right, we want to wipe it out. Because Herod, as you know, went on to kill again. He wanted to wipe out Jesus. He wanted to wipe out this king of the Jews. We have people today who the spirit of Herod lives in. They want to wipe out all mention of Jesus. They want to wipe out Christ from Christmas. They want to wipe out anything that might cause offence. Do you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus will cause offence. Because after you went faced with Jesus, you have to make a choice. When you're faced with Jesus, you have to make a choice. You cannot sit on the fence. You can't be in the middle and think, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You either say, yes, I'm for Jesus, or no, I'm not. You're either Herod or you're not. That's the bluntness of it. We either oppose Jesus or we're for him. But at least Herod was consistent. At least he consistently killed he wasn't just reacting differently. He consistently behaved the way he did. And he wasn't a pleasant guy. So the first people we find at Christmas is those who oppose. The second one, apathetic priests. People who really can't be bothered. They don't oppose. They just can't be bothered. Herod calls the one who know about the prophecy, the ones who have got the inside info, the chief priests. He calls them. And they say, yeah, there's going to be a Messiah born in Bethlehem. They're probably right. 
But they don't go, do you not find that a bit weird? That they don't suddenly go, hold on a minute. This could be, this could be the one. No, they just say, yeah, Herod, that's right. Get back to our jobs. They're apathetic, the ones who ignore, the ones who know, and they should have gone with the Magi. They should have checked it out for themselves. This baby meets the criteria, it meets the place, it meets the people. Let's go. But even though they know all the facts and information, they don't rush to find the newborn king. Second type of people. Just go, well, I'll let you do it if you find that helpful. Don't oppose. They're just a bit apathetic. Final group. Worshippers. These three, or not three necessarily, these pagan kings from the east knew who they found. And what did they do? They worshipped gladly. They worshipped the king. All three groups had the same information. They all had the same information. But they responded in different ways and only one group got it right. Which are we today? Which are you? It's what our response is that makes the difference. Do you know, all three groups had the same information. Information and books won't save you. Head knowledge won't do the job. It's got to make the journey from here to here. You've got to recognize that God's love is more than just info. It's got to become an outpouring. And it's got to become an infilling. It's what your response is that makes the difference. Herod was willing to kill. The scribes and the teachers of the law just ignored. So the question is, who will worship? This morning, we need a king. They wanted a king. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? The one that was promised, the one we should rush to worship and do so gladly. This king came from Judah's line. Do you know, remember, Israel had no good kings. Judah's line delivered the best king, the final one to rule for all eternity. So we need a king that's been good, that's been bad, and that's been downright ugly. But the greatest is the one born for all. The, one, the greatest is the one that was born to die. And our response, it's got to be your response. My response is to choose to worship the king. Wise men worshipped. Some still do. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning that we will follow the example of those that have followed you. Father, I pray this morning that we will follow the example of Hezekiah, who did what was right, who followed and, and followed your law and got rid and obliterated the things that dragged him down and the nation down. Father, I pray this Christmas we will recognize the king that was born. I pray this Christmas we will recognize that we have to make a choice. We cannot just sit on the fence and let it pass, our, pass us by. Father God, we have to either say we oppose, we don't care, or we want to worship. This morning, I pray that each one of us will choose to worship the King of Kings, the one who was born to be sovereign for all time. Father, thank you in your name. Amen.